Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 170 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So excited for people to hear this conversation. Uh, I got to talk with Jason Reynolds, who... I got to hear speak at BEA several, several months ago, and anytime I get to hear an author speak in my mind, I'm usually like, I hope someday they'll be on the podcast. And then it worked out that Jason Reynolds <laughs> is now on the podcast. Um, the reason why, uh, Jason Reynolds is a young adult author. He's written several incredible books. Uh, Long Way Down, I've talked about several times. It was longlisted for the National Book Award this year. He wrote a book called Ghost with a follow-up called Patina, which are two books about inner city uh young adults who are on track teams and them overcoming these incredibly difficult situations. Um, he's written a book. There's He has basically writes like a book every month, it seems. Um, but he is the keynote speaker at AASL, which is a massive K-12 uh, trade show that Overdrive always attends. And as part of it, Jason is giving away free copies of his book, Ghost, digitally uh, through Overdrive to people who attend. And so his publisher, Simon and Schuster, reached out to us and said, we'd like to do a podcast conversation with Jason, if you guys don't mind. And then once I picked my <laughs> mouth off the floor, I said, that'd be great. Um, I, we, like, get right into the conversation. The I've never had this happen before, but the first, like, 30 seconds where I do the intro of who he is got cut off. Um, but it's pretty clear who he is. Cause we, he, but you'll, you'll just, like, hear him start talking really quickly once the music fades out. Um, but he is, he's so infectious and you he gets so excited talking about the importance of children's literature mm-hmm. and, and young adult literature. And just, we talk about why he gets angry and people say, oh, you're just a children's writer, that kind of stuff. So yeah, just an awesome guy. Yeah. So um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And they can email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, they can. Okay, anything else that you can think of we should be talking about? I don't think so. Awesome. Okay, well, I am very, very excited. I know that I say that in big before most episodes, but this was a treat for me to get to talk with Jason Reynolds, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> busy uh but i want to cover as much of your new works as possible so to kind of get us started can you give our listeners an introduction to patina which i know is the follow-up to ghost yeah so patina patina is basically a story of a young lady who um her mother so she loses her father early in life he uh unfortunately sort of slips away in the middle of the night in his sleep uh, from a heart attack from, from a presumed heart attack and her mother, because of that, slips into a depression and through, di- through diabetes, ends up losing her leg. Patina then has to go and live with her uncle and her 
aunt and her aunt is a white woman, Patina is a little black girl with a little sister. And so it's this entire story about what it means to be a young lady who assumes responsibility um, at such a young age, so much responsibility at such a young age. Uh, what does it mean to be able to sometimes um, be passed the baton far too young? And then on the flip side, what does it mean to have to learn how to pass that baton to somebody else? Uh, I grew up with a bunch of young ladies who were never allowed to be young ladies. They were forced to be grown women by the time they were 10 or 11 years old, forced to carry the weight of responsibility, taking care of their little brothers and sisters, making dinner, making lunch, uh, doing homework, and all this kind of stuff. But boys get to be boys forever. Um, <laughs> and so Patina is sort of a story that explores that uh, and sort of, and sort of um, you know, hopefully give, give us a, a view into a young lady's life in a way that we haven't necessarily seen, I think, when it comes to understanding what it really might mean to be a young lady in America these days, how, how that really goes. I mean, how it's so different than being a young man. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, this is a follow-up to Ghost, which just, I'm, I promise I won't shower with praise the whole time we talk, but Ghost is also <laughs> incredible. Um, I, I'm curious what, you know, other than you know it being a male versus a female perspective, what felt different writing Patina versus writing Ghost? Patina is more, uh, it, it's got a little more, I would say it's got a little more heart, um, and it's also just more characters involved, right? Mm-hmm. So Ghost, Ghost is a story that's driven by the initial incident, right? Like he experiences trauma early on, and from there we're sort of, we're sort of slingshot into the story, right? We're catapulted into this sort of very quickly paced story about this young man who is trying to recover from this traumatic thing that has happened to him, even if he doesn't know that he's trying to recover. Now, with Patina, uh, it, it's a lot less it's a lot less of a um, of a slingshot. It's not like there's this humongous traumatic experience. Yes, she loses her father, yes that's traumatic. Yes, her mom loses her leg, yes that's traumatic. But it's all such a it's a it's a much more subtle story arc. It's it's a it's more of a journey um, one that you kind of have to sit with. And because of that, it was a little different because I felt like what if people wouldn't necessarily gravitate toward Patina as much because there's no sort of, no, no bang and smash. There's no fast-paced thing. It's more about like, no, you have to sit with this young person. You have to get to know this young person. Uh, and not just her, but everything happening around her. Her mom, her two mothers, her father, her little sister, her uncle, all the girls in her all-girls school, all the girls on the track team, right? It's like a whole lot more for us to sort of have to deal with because she's involved with so many different people. That was a complicated thing. Um, you know, you mentioned track, you know, both this and, and Ghost are, are books that surround, you know, track and field. And I'm just curious, growing up, were, were you into track and field or is that just a way that you felt would kind of hit the, the story marks that you want to tell? No, no, I ran track in high school. Okay. I ran track in high school. Yeah, I ran track in high. I ran the eight hundred. I ran Patina's race. I ran the eight hundred, and I and I threw the shot put in the discus. Um, and so I understand firsthand what track is about, right? Like track track is about it has nothing to do with running, right? It has nothing to do with the actual sport, right? Track is all about sort of emotional and mental fortitude. It's about discipline and persistence. It's about making sure that you're doing your personal best because track is the only sport. Um, one of the only sports besides, say, swimming, um, where you're only competing technically against yourself. You're not competing against the people running next to you. They're used for, you know, encouragement, right? They're used for motivation. But the truth is, is that it's, you, your coach is timing you so that you can beat your time. Uh, and there's something about that, uh, that sort of self-accountability that I 
wanted to sort of play around with in all the track stories. Mm-hmm. And that's why track is a big deal. So, really in all your books, you do this thing that I absolutely love. I preach this to anyone who has young readers in their lives, but you are constantly putting a lot of your characters who are younger in very real and, and difficult situations. And like I said, anytime I talk to someone and I give them a book that they may shy away from giving their children, I, I try to explain to them, like, I'm of the personal belief that young readers can accept and deal with more emotions than people give them credit for. So for you, why is it so important for you to tell the stories the way you do? For that same reason, I believe that we don't respect young people. Right, and because if, if we respected them, we would recognize that they can handle more than we than we think they can. Right, the truth of the matter is, is that we won't give a young person a book about a young man whose life has been threatened by his father, or we won't give a young person a book about a young lady who's been forced to go and live with an auntie after her mother can no longer take care of her. But we have no problem giving children video games where they can reenact war. Right, it's the most it's, it's a fascinating thing for me when people push back against books that put kids in realistic situations for them to gain empathy, but have no problems with young people literally playing first-person shooter games and simulating, simulating warfare, right? And, and I think, I, I, to me, it's almost comical that we don't want to give our kids empathy, that we don't want to give our kids the ability to understand that there are people who are like them, and therefore they no longer have to sort of shame, and there are people who are not like them, and therefore, they don't, they don't longer have to feel afraid. That's the power of doing this, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's all I care about at the end of the day. And I love our children, and I respect our children enough to do so uh, face forward. And so I'm just curious, do you take stories that are, you know, from when you were growing up or from things you see? You know, it's an unfortunate real, you know, realism of our world that there's a lot of bad things going on, especially to young kids and young kids of you know, of African-American background. So are you pulling stories that you see every day or, or things from your past for, for the inspiration of your books? Absolutely. Most of these stories are semi-autobiographical. Um, I mean, I've lived a colorful life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to have lived a colorful life. Some of those things that, that were complicated, I get to use for fodder as these stories. I mean, Ghost is a real person. His name is Matt. At 70 years old, his father tried to shoot him. He and his mother ran and hid in the 7-Eleven storage room for two days. Never saw his father again. He lived down the street from me, one of my best friends. It's true. Man. Right? Like, all of these books, all of these books are stories that I know for a fact are true because they have either happened to me, my family, or my friends. And then I take them, I take the nuggets of them, and I sort of flesh them out to turn them into sort of these, these stories for kids um, that kids can kind of, kind of gravitate toward. But they all are based in reality. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them is based Alright, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a soapbox for a second here, because I heard you talk recently about the common misconception that writing children's book, children's books is somehow <laughs> easier than it is writing, you know, writing uh, for adults. So I'm just going to shut up and give you the floor, but I just kind of want to hear your thoughts and let you tell the world why it's so important to write children's books and why it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is. So, so first of all, the level of arrogance that it takes for people to believe that to write books for young people is less than the, the, the level of sort of uh, pomp that it takes in order in order to actually feel that way is uh, in and of itself just absurd. Furthermore, um, what, what no one wants to discuss is that the dismissing of children's literature is not just the dismissing of children's literature. The dismissing 
children's literature and the way that it's written or the style in which it's written or all the things that I hear all the time is actually dismissing of, of, of a child's mind, right? Of what a child gravitates to what we're dismissing it. We're, we're literally becoming, uh, and the funny thing is that adults do this all the time anyway, but the argument is literally fostering the dismissal, the dismissal of, of, of the psyche of young people, uh, the dismissal of their stories, the dismissal uh, of their emotions, the dismissal of their realities, right? First and foremost. Second of all, there's a strange assumption. There's a strange assumption that the people who write children's books don't have the same degrees, the same <laughs> education, the same the same experience as the people who write for adults. Most of us, most of us stumbled into YA literature, right? Like there wasn't even a thing. When I came into the industry 13 years ago, I didn't even know what YA literature was. Most of us stumble into it. We get categorized as YA literature. We get categorized as children's literature because the books that we make, they believe are appealing more to a younger demographic, but that does not mean that they are poorly written or that they lack sophistication. Right? That's not, that's not what that means. Right? If I am a person who is writing, a, who is writing uh, a science journal, if I'm writing about NASA, then that would be, like, based on the words that I've written on the page and the way that they're written, that it's geared towards the science community but not that it isn't written well enough for the rest of the nonfiction community, right? That's not, that's mm-hmm. not what that means, right? <laughs> and, the same, and the same goes for children's literature. And lastly, who else is there to write for? Why is it a bad thing? Why should it be seen as less than to write to try to save the lives of our children, to try to create um, more empathetic and whole experiences for the people who are going to inherit the world? Why is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Why? It doesn't even make sense. Why? This should even be an argument. Everybody should be writing for kids as far as I'm concerned. Every single adult novelist should say to themselves at some point in their career, I should probably try to figure out how to give something back, how to give something to these kids, to give them a fair shot, tell a story that hasn't been told before. Not to mention the fact that the only reason that they all have careers, and I say this all the time, and I'll never, I'm never going to cower, right? The reality is that we create the readers of all of the people who say that we, that we can't write well. If it weren't for us, then young people don't get to have literacy, literature, books. They don't get to have relationship with books. They don't get to read all the books that get that get read every year from our from our adult colleagues. That is the truth. That is the way it works, whether they like it or not. And I would challenge any of them, pick your best five and I'll pick my best five and we'll do it like we do in the basketball court. <laughs> we'll just run it out. We'll, we'll, you know, pick your best five. Not to mention most of your best five is on my side anyway. Take somebody <laughs> like Jasmine Ward. Right, Jasmine Ward, one of the greatest writers in America mm-hmm. um, of the 21st century, as far as I'm concerned. They're saying that she might be the next, the next William Faulkner, even though I don't think that's a fair comparison. Because I think that she's better. I think that she should be her own self. She's Jasmine Ward, mm-hmm. and all of her characters, all of her main protagonists, are under the age of 16 years old. Mm-hmm. All of them in every single book, and she's been nominated for the National Book Award and won for Savage the Bone, and she's nominated again right now. For seeing unburied thing, and guess who had the blurb on the back of that book? Me, and I'm grateful <laughs> to have that blurb because what she understands and what her publishers understand is that that line between children's literature and adult literature is far more thin than we like to give credit to. So box over. No, that was perfect. Oh <laughs> man, I I know I completely understand what you're saying because the. Th- you you talk about how people say that you know it's almost like there aren't layers to these books, but I. Like for long way down, for example, which I'm going to ask you about in a, in a you know a minute. Like you wrote it in such a way that it just it took me you know an hour, maybe an hour and a half to read it, and I've been thinking about it for months. And it's like the same thing about like when I read a Kwame Alexander book. Like 
the ability to write a story that captivates a young reader, not only with the story, but the the way that the prose is written, to me, you have a more difficult task because you're trying to reach out. Like you said, you're trying to create new readers. You're reaching out to people who a lot of times, I'm sure you've seen it when you when you give your speeches, that you know, there's people there that probably tell you yours are the first books they've ever read. So, I mean, you're coming at it from a much more difficult standpoint where you're trying to grow the readers as opposed to just have your books be the, the book that they pick up next. Exactly. I'm trying to convince them. I'm earning it. I have to earn it, mm-hmm. right, every time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so along those lines, I've actually, I've heard you kind of stress the fact that, you know, there's, there's another misconception that kids hate reading. Uh, and that's just absolutely not true. You mentioned that they hate to be bored. And they need to have books available to kind of break that mold. So I'm, I'm curious for you when you were growing up, um, every one of us have books that kind of sparked our love for reading. So what were those books when you were growing up that you know you, you held in your hand and you were just like, oh my God, this is something I want to be a part of my whole life. So when I was growing up, so when I was growing up, there was, there was nothing. I'm coming right back. When I was growing up, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was nothing for, for not for me. Um, I didn't read my, my first novel until I was 17 and a half years old. And that novel was Black Boy by Richard Wright. Uh, professor put it in my hand, and on the first page, or the first two pages, it basically outlines the, the narrative that the protagonist burning his mother's house down. And I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I was hooked because I wasn't bored. Immediately, he, he, he snatched me. He snatched me out of it. Right? Immediately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm doing this thing. I'm so tired. Man. <laughs> my bad. Good to see you, bro. All right, man. But um, sorry, man. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, like, he, uh, he he burns up his mom's house down on the first page. I'm hooked, right? I'm like, this is what this is all I needed my whole life. Now, when I was a kid, it, there were no books for me that I, that I, that I sort of gravitated towards that I loved, none at all. What I loved was rap music. What I loved was reading rap lyrics. Rap music was everything to me. It taught me poetry. It taught me language. It taught me rawness. It taught me what it meant to be a little jagged, to be authentic. Um, it gave me almost everything that I am today rap music gave me because those were the YA authors for kids like me in my generation. Um, and I like to make sure that, that I can be honest about that and be clear. The reason that I write so much these days is because I want to give kids the books that I did not have when I was a kid. Alright, so I have to ask growing up, favorite rapper or group? Uh, I would say, you know, back then it was hard because there was so many good ones. Mm-hmm. Like you had Tupac, you had uh, Tribe Called Quest, you had Outkast, you had Run DMC, yeah, Eric B. and Rakim. But the first tape that I ever bought, the first tape that I've ever owned myself when I was 10 years old was uh, Queen Latifah's Black Rain. Changed my life forever. I have to tell you, so I'm the, I'm the youngest of four, and um, I, my family always, my, my older siblings were always big hip-hop fans, and my older brother got me onto Tupac when I was really young, and my mom, I remember being like, I don't know if I want you listening to all this stuff, and my brother gave her a book that he bought me, the, the Tupac the poetry book, The Rose That Grew From Concrete, and yeah. turned my mom into a Tupac fan. So I, it was, uh, <laughs> so you, you mentioned the poetry part. Yeah, you mentioned the poetry part, and that's something that, you know, always jumped out for me. So I just had to, I had to ask that when you, when you mentioned it. Um, for sure, man. So you talked about, you know, how much, you know, 
how much you write and you are i think prolific is a fair word to say you have you know multiple stories coming out every single year and and the way you write them are so challenging so i'm interested from a, a craft of writing standpoint do you focus on one story at a time do you have multiple going on in your head and you're just kind of taking notes or just maybe take us through your writing process well you know it's the equivalent of sort of you planting i heard this quote i can't remember who said this but they said there are architects and there are gardeners architects sort of plan out everything and they build it and then they plan the building and the building is built and gardeners sort of plant the seed and then sort of you know wait down the for that seed to grow you sort of water it and you ditch the soil and eventually the plant grows i happen to plant a few seeds at a time mm-hmm. right so i plant i plant a few seeds some of them grow at different rates um and i watch them all grow and i'm careful i'm just really really careful about being in control of my of my of my imagination and my creativity so that i know what, what sort of compartment each little detail goes in so that when one book is done i can go and then just knock out the next book because i've been thinking about all of them uh, simultaneously for months and months and months and months and months and that's and, and it's a rolling list right i keep a rolling list of maybe you know seven or eight ideas um just sort of germinating right slowly sort of coming up out of the soil every little day little by little i'll add a little bit here or i'll, I'll experience something and i say oh that would be really interesting to sort of give to a character or i'll read something or i'll watch something on television or in a movie and i said that's a really interesting quirk uh, i could add that to a story and put that in some character or that changes the dynamic but i may not get to that story for one of the six months but I'm, I'm totally just pouring into it little by little by little by little by little so it seems like all these books are sort of like you know and they all are being written but it's the reason that it looks like that is because i've been writing them mentally for a very long time, it's just about putting the words on the page, um, and that's just how it goes, man. That's where my brain works. You know? That's where it's always been. <laughs> so, do you? So, when you're putting these little pieces here and there, you're not really going like page one to the end with each of these books. Are you just kind of like dropping no. in like scenes that you're like, okay, well, this is this will work for Patina, and over here, this this piece is going to work for you know Miles Morales. Are you kind of is that just like as you think of things, you you throw them in there? how it goes. I mean, I met a dude the other day at a school, uh, one of the teachers, his, his first name was Even. And the first thing I said was, well, that's going in, that's it, right? Like, that's it. But that one trigger, it's like, I'm like, your real name is Even? He said, yeah, it's Y-B-E-N. I said, well, I'm going to make a character whose name is E-B-E-N. And the day before I met Even, I was in Battle Creek, Michigan, right? Serial City, mm-hmm. right? The other, that's where the Kellogg brothers were, and that's where Sojourner Truth was. There's a story there somewhere, and there's going to be a kid named Even who's probably going to tell it. That's the way my brain works. Oh, I'm jealous of your brain. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I have to talk to you about A Long Way Down, because like I, I literally can't stop thinking about this book. It was long-listed for the National Book Award. It's incredible. And the way that it's conveyed, I, you know, I work for Overdrive. We're a digital company, but I would implore people to buy this book like the physical version of it just so they can see the way it looks but first can you maybe explain what the book is about and then take us through how you came up with the story for that so the book is about this kid named will william holloman whose brother sean is murdered and the day after his brother is murdered he has decided that he is going to follow the rules of the community those rules are no crime no snitching and you always take revenge. You always seek revenge. Um, he gets his brother's gun. He gets on. Uh, he gets on the um, the elevator. And uh, once he gets on the elevator, he. It's hard to explain it. He basically <laughs> like <laughs> the elevator door closes. 
and then he had 60 seconds, 61 seconds of his life, something like that, mm-hmm. for him to make a decision about whether or not he's going to, uh, whether or not he's going to do the crime or not, right? He, the whole entire story, we're talking 300 pages, takes place on this elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time the door opens, somebody gets on the elevator, and the person that gets on is someone that he knows and knows very well from his past, except for the person is dead. That person no longer exists. Mm-hmm. That person has been murdered um, years before. Uh, and so we get to see this young man in, in the elevator that he's in, and he's going to make a decision. We get to watch that elevator uh, basically fill up with people of his past. And I don't want to give it all away. Yeah. It's really yeah. hard to talk about it without giving it away. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I totally, yeah, the way that I, I, actually, I'm going to save the way I describe it. When we stop recording, I'm going to tell you how I describe it, and I'll just to, I can know if I can keep describing it that way. I don't want to put it on record and have you say I gave it away either. But good. So you also um, you also did the audiobook for that, correct? I did my first time doing an audiobook. I did the audiobook for it. Yeah. Well, what was that experience like? It was cool, man. It was cool. It was cool because it was poetry, right? I know this better than I know anything else. Um, I know this this medium better than I know any any other sort of format, and so it was cool to sort of exercise chops that I haven't used in a very long time. It was nice. Um, I had a good time, man. It was cool. And, and, and it just, this story is important to me. It means something to me. And it was cool for me to just be the one to, to, put, to lend my voice to this time. So, so did it have a lot to do with, um, like you said, it, it being poetry? Like, Do you see yourself doing more audiobooks in the future? Or did, does it have to be kind of the right story? Yeah, it has. I, I don't want to do audiobooks, man. <laughs> I... You know, I was. You know, I think at the end of the day, we have to uh, be humble enough to know where our strengths are, right? Like there are people who do audiobooks professionally for a reason, mm-hmm. and and I personally am not a person who does audiobooks professionally for a reason. And even when I did Long Way Down, though I did enjoy the process, I was only in there for two hours. Right. But a novel, you're in there for two days, three days, right? <laughs> like I don't. That's a lot, man. Yeah, I also can't imagine your schedule opens up enough for you to have the ability to keep doing more audiobooks as nah. it is. <laughs> nah. And my books require a certain amount of uh, activity, a certain amount of sort of like acting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not an actor, right? That's not, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend does all my audiobooks, and I'm glad he does because he's brilliant. He's an actor. He's great. And he knows me, and he knows my style, and my voice, and my jokes. And so he nailed it. So Ghost and all those books are done by the same dude. Guy Lofter. He's amazing. Um, so this is kind of a broad question, but you can answer it any way you like. What excites you most right now about children's and young adult literature? Um, I guess, I mean, look, the, the obvious answer, right, which is it, it, the diversity is growing. Mm-hmm. Right? That we're pushing sort of what can be done, what kind of stories can be told. Um, we're letting so many new voices tell those stories. Um, I'm, I really am excited about what is going on. I, man, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what it looks like in like five or ten years. I'm, I'm interested to see the diversity story as it continues to grow up. Um, and I mean that in all the ways. You know, I'm not. I think that we. It's in its infancy. It's in its sort of. It's in its sort of fetal state, and I, I'm interested to see what happens as that conversation matures and continues to grow. And I think we have to allow ourselves. We have to allow ourselves the grace um, to allow that conversation to mature and grow legs 
and uh, I'm, 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 I can't wait to see what it turns into. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I am excited about where it is today and, what, and, where, and where it seems to be going, um, and, I'm, and I'm honored to be a part of it, you know? Um, are there, just because we're a book podcast, we love throwing out recommendations, are there books that you've read this year that you've been really excited about that you wouldn't mind sharing? Sure. I love, uh, I mean, there's so much happening, man. I love Liz, Liz Acevedo, uh, The Poet X. I love uh, Nick Stone, Dear Martin, which is out today, mm-hmm. uh, which is October 17th. Um, I love, uh, what else? Um, oh, Jasmine Ward's Singer and Buried Sing. Mm-hmm. I love N.T. Anderson's new book. I don't remember what it's called, but it's, it's like, it's like 15,000 words. It's super slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but N.T. Anderson's a genius. Period, and I, I love his new book. Which I to MC Anderson. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to Tyler Johnson was here by um, Jay Coles. Um, there's a lot, man. Solo by Kwame Alexander. Uh, Rita Williams Garcia new book, which is up for the National Book Award. Evie's a Boy's American Street. I think it's genius. Um, there's so many. There's so many, man. Oh, uh, uh, Genuine Fraud. Yes. By um, E- by, uh, by Eli- Emily. Um, yeah, Eli Hart. What's Emily? What's Emily? Yeah, Eli Hart. Yeah. Uh, by Eli Hart was crazy. <laughs> 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 right? I just think um, I'm looking forward to whatever A.S. King's got coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think she never disappoints. At least I think she's the most creative, uh, dynamic, one of the most creative, dynamic writers and grossly underrated, personally. Mm-hmm. I think she's I think she's so creative and she doesn't get enough credit. Uh, I'm always going to recommend Lori Hall's Anderson. Seeds of America trilogy. I think that is a tour de force and one of the most important documents um, in children's literature ever in history. And I think every single classroom should be teaching it and using it um, every year. I think it is a masterpiece, and she also, I think, is grossly underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got John Green uh, just sent me the book. I'm excited to check it out. Uh, Turtles all the way down. I haven't read it yet, but. I mean, look, the dude is good. It is what it is. Yeah. Right? Like, he's one of those people that, like, he's so famous that, it, that people almost have, that people are almost reticent to keep him <laughs> any leeway. But the truth is, it's like, John Green's John Green. He's great. Uh-huh. It is what it is. Right? Like, <laughs> so I'm excited to read his book as well. <laughs> um, I, if I, I have to ask you this or else I'll kick myself for not knowing, what was it like getting to spend, like, an evening with ta Coates? And, and, and once he settled in, it just became a normal conversation. We had a really good time. 
children to be able to see Miles Morales or to see Black Panther or whatever it is. And I think I just think it was um, it ended up being one of the moments that I'm never going to forget. And everybody in that room uh, after it was over, people were like, "Yo, I feel like I, we, we witnessed something, right? Like we won't know for another ten years, right? But we witnessed mm-hmm. something, man. And, and if you could feel it all in the space." So amazing! He's an amazing person. I'm so grateful to have met him, uh, and I, um, I, you know, I just I look I look forward to seeing him again, man. I feel like it'll be next time I see him, it'll be all love and it'll be friendly and cool. You know what I mean? Like I feel yeah. like I, I feel like I got a new a new friend. You know, it was great. That is amazing. All right, so one last question for you. I've taken up a lot of your time. I know you're busy, but what do you hope young readers take away from reading your books? Oh man, nothing. No 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 lessons. You know. All I really want young readers to feel is, is to know is that somebody in the world loves them. Mm-hmm. I just want my readers to feel cared for. That's it. I just want to. Know, I just want them to know that they're not alone. That there are people in the world who are not judging them, who are not belittling them, who are not demeaning them. But there are people in the world who see them um, and who want to sort of show the rest of the world who it is they actually are. That's what love looks like. That's it. That's perfect, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was a blast. You got it, bro. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.